2: Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you have missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy.
0: Across the UK, online on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Uh,
2: let's talk about a speech being given by uh, Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, later this morning, in which he's going to call on the government to protect family incomes during this lockdown. Uh, he's uh, pointed out that Dominic Cummings gave a forty percent, sorry, forty thousand pound pay rise uh, to himself, uh, but won't pay carers a decent wage, and he's going to call for families to be put first. Well, let's talk to Labour's shadow Work and Pension Secretary, Jonathan Reynolds who joins us now. Good morning to Jonathan.
3: Good morning, Julian. Happy, happy New Year to you, happy, the
2: show. Happy New Year to you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, well, um, this, is a, this is a crucial uh, speech from uh, Keir Starmer. I mean, perhaps a lot of people listening to my show right now might say, given that this is a man who's constantly called for more and more and more restrictions, lockdown earlier, lockdown sooner, lockdown harder, um, it's a bit rich, isn't it, for him to say, oh, oh, isn't it terrible that all these people have lost some of their incomes? I mean, well, of course they have. He's not allowing them to go to work.
3: Well, no, I wouldn't uh, see it that way, as you'd probably expect. Uh, Lockdown restrictions, they're a consequence of the infection rate and where we are with the pandemic and the government not getting a grip on that, like other countries have done. And that leaves us with no other option but to introduce restrictions. But what Keira is going to set out today, Julia, is some short-term decisions the government has to make very soon to protect family incomes this year. Uh, It's been clearly a very difficult time uh, for families, like you've just said, because of those restrictions. But specifically, he's going to say the government should not uh, proceed with the 5% rise to council tax, which has been scheduled for this year, and as well as that, not proceed with that reduction to universal credit in April, which is a cut of £20 a week for 6 million families. As well as that, he's going to talk about the long term, some hope for the future. That's what we want to all get to, looking beyond the pandemic, for how we can build a society, a country which is stronger than the one we had going into this crisis. That is about a proper pay rise for the key workers who've got us through the crisis is about addressing the rising levels of poverty in the UK and hopefully some optimism uh, for the future alongside some of those shorter term decisions that the government has to make as soon as possible.
2: I mean I think we'd all love it if everybody could have a nice big pay rise and things but should we be less worried about the key workers, the teachers, the armed forces uh, and the, the care workers getting a pay rise um, than the people who've actually lost their jobs and uh, and have actually lost huge amounts of their pay, people on furlough, people who've lost their businesses. Huge huge number of young people in particular who've lost work in hospitality and retail. Shouldn't we prioritise those people rather than giving a pay rise to the people who've still got a job?
3: Well, I think that's a fair question because of the differential in employment rights and security that different people have had in the crisis, but I don't see this as something that needs to be pitted against public and private uh, against each other. First of all, I've got to say, you know, for some key workers, particularly uh, teachers, particularly for people in the NHS, they are they are absolutely rinsed. I mean, they, they really have had a difficult time, and yes, I do think they should be properly rewarded.
2: Uh, but NHS they NHS workers uh, are, are, excuse me, they are, they, NHS workers will be getting the pay rise uh, above inflation this year.
3: Well, let's be clear, that doesn't apply to nurses because that's a different pay mm-hmm. settlement, so it is actually a much more complicated picture Uh, than some government ministers would give you. you. But I do think, to to address directly, that the very reasonable point you made, Julia, about the people who've had insecurity, who haven't, uh, in some cases, had any income since March, depending on their employment situation, those issues have to be addressed. And I think there has been no starker spotlight on inequality in the workplace than this crisis. A lot of us knew these problems existed beforehand, but I think they're more widely known because of it. And, yes, people who've got insecure work Lack of employment rights, lack of an ability to uh, you know, make sure they've got protection when they need it because they don't qualify for universal credit because of the restrictions there. All of that, yes, needs to be looked at, too. But let's not put it as but, public against private. Well, no,
2: but, 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 but it is. I mean, it's all very well saying, oh, these people haven't got employment rights. I'm sorry, if 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 the business you work for is not allowed to be open for most of a year, you can have as many employment rights you want in the world. If you ain't got a job. There's no job to do. You ain't getting paid.
3: Yes, but if if you're in a situation where you can't uh, address the infection rate and you don't Introduce the restrictions that are necessary that's, because of that. I mean, what's the uh, long-term future no, then? That, that would be no but, pubs open. It would be no hospitality businesses. It would mean a death toll that would be even more catastrophic than we've got. So we shouldn't look at it. In that but way. I'm sorry. But can I say right you've
2: got there's no there's no medical basis for making any of those statements? I'd like to point out. I mean, the, all the evidence has been presented. Huge amounts of evidence that actually lockdowns cost more deaths in the long run. Each time we've seen, in when we've had a lockdown, infection rate has actually gone down. But it's actually already been going down beforehand. So I mean, I'm, I'm just this this idea that yeah, well, it's a choice. It's idea, case, idea. It's a Julia. choice. I, I but it, no, cool no, that. But that is no, no, that is the case. The infection rate before the March lockdown was already going down. We we know this. This is this, you can you can see this in the death rate uh, that subsequently it it could not possibly have been still going up at that time. There's no there's no question at all. Um, Look, the thing is, it's the idea that, that you're saying, well, you don't want a 5% rise in council tax. You don't want universal credit to be cut. And I certainly would agree with you on, on the universal credit. And you, and you want public sector workers, huge millions of them, to get a pay rise above inflation, while many public private sector workers haven't even got a job. Um, which taxes do you want to go up to pay for that? Because if you say we shouldn't have a council tax rise, we've had huge extra costs for councils in terms of trying to help uh, people with social care. We've got to pay for it somehow. Which taxes does Labour want to go up then?
3: Well, let's be clear. We are in an economic downturn, Julia. So the wrong strategy at this stage would be to raise taxes or cut spending because that takes demand out of the economy. That slows economic growth and that makes the debt problem even worse. So, no, that is not the right strategy to take okay. at the minute. That has to be addressed in the medium to longer term. But you must go back to economic okay, recovery. So first. when okay. if you don't do that, you make a, a really big mistake. So roughly when
2: will taxes go up and which ones? What we will need
3: to first of all be past the pandemic. We will need to have confidence restored, and we'll need to see economic growth restored as well. I can't give you a so time in a year, but I, I don't know if the pandemic will be under control. After, I mean, I would hope so, but okay. clearly that's the determining factor. Julian, anyone who thinks otherwise, I'm afraid, would get that wrong. So that is what has to happen. There'll be some difficult times after that, but a return to austerity that would not be the right policy. And
2: okay. I, I, I agree with you on that. Again, I, I think you know this is not going to be the time, but at some point. We're all going to have to, we and our children, the ones we haven't been allowed to get an education all these this last year, we are going to have to pay for all this. Now, I'm I'm all in favour of giving all that help, but massively in favour of a lot of the things that Rishi Snack has announced. But at some point, it does all have to be paid for. You, you, which taxes do you think should go up to pay for it all?
3: I, uh, I couldn't give you an answer at okay. this stage in, in the crisis. Just being totally honest there. Okay. There are some things where the UK is relatively... Uh, under tax, like on corporation tax, compared to other countries, but of course you've got to consider the round. I we're in a different situation after, after Brexit. We're not in the single market, so our competitiveness there has to be taken into consideration as well. So that's a bigger question. And until we're through the pandemic, no politician okay. could give you another answer. Right.
2: As we get through the, the pandemic, um, there, there was a call, obviously, by your leader to for for a lockdown to happen earlier. I mean, at a point when he knew, face, basically, we were heading towards lockdown anyway. He's got a he's got some very good foresight, your your, your leader. Um, Call for more lockdown restrictions constantly. Um, as the vaccine is rolled out, we're told by mid-February the most vulnerable um, in the over eighty, over seventies, will be vaccinated—thirteen million. If if the government does, fingers crossed, reach that target, at what point do you think that lock? Well, will Labour Party policy be for lockdown restrictions to be start to be eased and to be ended?
3: Yeah, I mean that, that's the crucial part of it. Uh, I mean, I'm actually quite impressed, certainly with what I've seen locally with, with the vaccination roll out by my local NHS, we've done the over 80s, uh, and people in care homes are already out. What we need is more vaccine, and it seems to me that is the determining uh, question in terms of your answer, when a lockdown can go. We will need to proceed through those priority vulnerable groups, and I think we need to see infections falling, and I think we would need to see the NHS in a position where it's not at risk of being overwhelmed, they seem to be the reasonable tests to put in place um, for when we can hopefully talk about easing some of these restrictions okay. on people's lives. And, and
2: reasonably, at that point, by mid-February, that will be the case, will it not? Mid-February to late February, can you see a can you see any any point at which in March we should not be seeing easing? Early March, we should not be seeing easing uh, of uh, these restrictions on our lives. It,
3: it all depends on that infection rate. Now, as I say, I, I'm quite impressed with what the NHS is doing, or we've got a kind of drive-through vaccination uh, centre and it's brilliant to see. So absolutely fantastic to see how, how it's done. My worry would be, if you can imagine the logistical effort it takes to get the right people there on the right day and the dosage, we also had a lot of problems around PPE in the first phase of the crisis where it was coming from central government, but it was sporadic, it didn't arrive on the right days, it didn't come in the amounts that required. If that was repeated for the vaccine delivery... It will be a huge problem because we need to be getting to. Which we're doing two million people a week right now. That clearly needs to double, as you said, to hit those targets. So it's all about delivery of the vaccine, and of course we'll need to scale up the volunteer effort as well at that stage. A lot of coordination is required. I hope people listening they want to take part in that. They want to contribute because that will be a huge logistical challenge, even if we've got the vaccines in place.
2: Yeah, I'd say um, I, I'm of view that it's a logistical challenge that should have been already re- ready to go in the autumn, but you know, I'm old-fashioned in terms of forward planning. Let me ask you just one final question. Local elections on the 6th of May, uh, not just uh, London and other major cities, mayoral elections, uh, Police and Crime Commission elections in England, we've got the Welsh Assembly and the Scottish Parliament elections as well. Lots of talk, a lot of rumours in Westminster that those elections are going to be cancelled as they were last year, uh, delayed possibly until September, maybe sooner. Is there any justification, given that the United States were able to go ahead with a a presidential election at the height of their pandemic? Is there any excuse for there to be any cancellation of those elections? Or do you think there's a government just running scared of, frankly, getting the verdict of the voters rather sooner than they want?
3: Well, it's hugely frustrating because I I, had hoped we would proceed after they've delayed last year on an an all postal basis. We've had pilots in the past, as people will know, and that has worked quite well. Honestly, in terms of where we're at, because the government hasn't prepared for that, I cannot see how a local election campaign, uh, mayor election campaign, national election campaigns can begin. And I can't see how local authorities would be able to count them. Well, because people going door-to-door canvassing, that that's clearly not practical. Okay, um, do, it on, do it online. Thing. Well, it, it's a different thing. Send letters. But also,
2: but you're all in the same boat. It would be unfair if one party was was. Uh, was I'll have to leave it there. I know you're going to have to go. But I mean, again, I, I think I think an awful lot of parties seem very very keen on there being elections. I think the fundamental right to vote is uh, is not one that we should ever give away lightly, folks. Um, Online
0: on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio.
2: Right now, let's have a quick chat about what's going on in America and uh, whether or not impeachment proceedings could start as early as today. Scott Lucas, Professor of International Politics at the University of Birmingham, uh, keeping a close watch on this. Uh, various different reports that impeachment could actually be delayed for one, Joe Biden's one, first 100 days so he can focus on you know, getting things on track, dealing with the pandemic and the economy, rather than uh, impeaching the, the uh, outgoing president. Um, lend some talk that it could happen as early as today? What do you think is going to happen?
4: All right. So there's two stages, Julia. Impeachment, which is the equivalent of an indictment uh, that will proceed in the House today. And those proceedings could be completed by when so Donald Trump would be indicted. But the top Senate Republican, Mitch McConnell, is very unlikely to allow a trial to take place before January 20th, which is when Trump leaves office. So what happens then? Well, the Democrats will have a majority in the Senate. So the, what we're hearing now is, is that Joe Biden doesn't want there to be an immediate trial, but say by June or July, then there could be a trial of Donald Trump. Why is that important? Because if he's convicted, Trump would lose his presidential privileges. He'd lose a very large presidential pension. He would lose a security detail, and he couldn't run for president in 2024.
2: And that's the crucial thing here, isn't it? And that's where we may actually see some Republican support for this, rather more than many might have expected, because they frankly would like to get him out of their hair. If he can't run, he can't run. The Republican's always an independent. As, as Donald Trump Jr. said uh, that at March, just before the uh, uh, onslaught in the Capitol building last week, This is the, this Republican is now Donald Trump's Republican Party now. But there are quite a lot of Republicans who'd quite happily see the back of him if they didn't think he could run again.
4: Yes, Joy. I think while we're watching what the Biden administration does with the pandemic, with the economy, with other issues, the equally important story is this is now a split in the Republican Party. There are two different parties: establishment who plays by the rules, and then the Trumpists who, quite frankly, want to change the rules or disregard them altogether. And the capital attack has just brought that to the fore. You know, for how long can those Republican legislators who are hiding on Wednesday? as the attackers were coming in the building. How long will they continue to say that Trump is acceptable? Yeah. I think this will play for the next few months.
2: And, and of course, more and more is emerging about this. And, and the people who were saying, look, oh, look, this was just a protest and looking at the pictures of people posing happily, uh, you know, at Nancy Pelosi's desk or the guy dressed as a Viking. I mean, it was quite risible, a lot of it. It was comical, a lot of it. But now far more video footage and photographic evidence is emerging. And we had lots of journalists and some very brave journalists and British journalists in there as well. Uh, from ITV um, and others, that it, it's emerging that actually this was much, much nastier than a lot of people at first thought, not just people being shot gay, you know, with a touch of the vapors over people walking to capital. This was a very nasty protest. The extreme violence that was used, the preparation, it would appear that some elements, uh, some militia with, or our militia, were actually as part of that supposedly sort of, you know, group gone rogue last minute, just sort of on the spur of the moment attack on the Capitol. It's looking more and more like there was a conspiracy and a plan to do that.
4: Yes. I mean, initially, we saw the Capitol's very large complex. So the first footage that came out was from people who weren't trapped in there. And that was like, you know, these very unusually dressed protesters dancing about, stealing, looting effectively. But then as we got journalists who could get their footage out subsequently, what we found is, for example, a policeman beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. We had surrounded
2: by a mob watching it. It wasn't just one person. Yeah,
4: it was a lynching. Uh, And you had others who were threatened and probably in the most chilling of you had not been for a Capitol policeman who skillfully led a mob the other way. They would have gotten into the Senate chamber where the legislators were hiding and they could have attacked them Mm -hmm. because that mob, as they were moving up the stairs, were chanting, kill Mike Pence. The Vice President of the United States.
2: Yeah, Uh, extraordinary, extraordinary times. This one uh, is going to be a very interesting one to watch.
0: Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app Talk Radio.
2: Let's also talk now about uh, the lockdown policing, because once again, and we had this uh, with the lockdown back in the last spring, uh, that has been a very big issue. Now, we're all under the same restrictions in England, and pretty, pretty similar restrictions across the whole of the United Kingdom as well. But these far tougher restrictions, and yet once again, we do see, and it's always going to be a small minority of police officers, most police officers doing their job very admirably, no question at all. But a few cases, just question marks being raised. A woman uh, who was uh, fined for sitting on a bench. It is illegal sitting on a bench, not endorsing people sitting on a bench if you're not allowed to sit on a bench while you're out on a walk. Not quite sure why it should be illegal, though, because um, I think there are certainly people who could go for a walk, need to go for a walk, but but might need to sit down briefly. Uh, Two women who travelled about five miles by car to their nearby uh, beauty spot to walk along with each other. Apparently they got fined uh, because they'd a travelled out of their locality, uh, b uh, they had coffees with them which apparently meant they were on a picnic. Um, these are the sort of cases that, frankly, make an awful lot of us despair. Graham Wetton is a former police officer, he's a policing analyst now, and author of How to Be a Police Officer, and joins us. Graham, is this How to Be a Police Officer?
1: Uh, morning, Julia. Um, no, but the difficulty the officers have here is, as you've alluded to already, and there are thousands of interactions every day being done professionally and um, um, politely, but the difficulty you've got here is you have different interpretations between guidance and the legislation. And the guidance says you should stay within your local area to exercise. But that isn't the legislation. And we had government ministers last week coming out saying that the police are going to enforce these fines a lot quicker and a lot swifter. So the places on the street are caught between... What enforcing? What you have? What you actually allowed to do and not allowed to do? The public are confused, and many police officers are confused as well. It needs a lot more clarity.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think we can excuse the public being confused, but I think difficult for the uh, uh, I just claim. I mean, police officers. I would have thought this was, you know, hey, here's a page of what you can enforce, what you can't. Um, but again, it's, and again, this comes back to people travelling out of a tier three zone to go to mm. uh, to, to go on holiday over Christmas. Um, not illegal, but there is guidance. But this is the thing. Even when the even when the guidance says a local area, there is no legal definition in the legislation about what your local area is. I would have thought if you live in a town or a city and you can drive five miles perfectly safely in your car to get to an area that's completely empty and wild and you can walk very safely, not at risk to yourself or anyone else. That is a really sensible thing for you to do rather than, say, walk along busy, crowded pavements in your local area. Um, This is this is the difference between sort of, you know, maybe I mean, that's not even the letter of the law, but the letter of the guidance. And 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 the spirit of the guidance and and common sense really early on in this pandemic, Boris Johnson kept saying that we should be using our own common sense and then took away our right to use our common sense. And I, I worry sometimes police officers aren't using theirs in these instances.
1: Yeah, possibly sometimes. But as I said, it is difficult to, to deal with this. And sometimes people aren't using their common sense. And then you have to start explaining what's going on. They should still go through those four E's, engage, explain, encourage, with enforcement being the last resort. But as I said, we were told last week we would go far quicker towards enforcement because people aren't using their common sense. They're not following the guidance, as we're seeing. Sometimes some of these incidents have been actually set up to actually highlight the fact that police officers are issuing tickets yeah. because people are ignoring what they've been asked to do. So are are people to
2: required to follow guidance? Now, I'm, I'm not saying that people shouldn't follow guidance, no. but are people legally required to follow guidance? In which case, what the hell's it got to do with the police?
1: No, they're not legally required, but that, that, that's where it becomes difficult to actually enforce it. There are people... Oh, no, well, hold saying, on a
2: minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But if whoa. it's just guidance... It's yeah. not the police's job to get involved. I mean, I mean, I would say guidance is that you should you should read your children bedside bedtime stories and not put them in front of the telly. But I don't expect the police to come into someone's home and make them do that. If it's not a law, it's not the police's business.
1: No, it's what well, it's not. But the problem you got there is that other people see uh, what they think are breaches of the law when it's breaches of the guidance, and the police get asked to go and deal with it.
2: And then they say nothing to do with us. It's not breaching the law.
1: I mean, wait a minute,
2: are we in a situation, Graham, where the police should get involved because someone who's been twitching looking out their net curtain and all those people who go to park, I mean, we've had this the whole of the last year, someone goes to a park, films other people in the park saying there are too many people in the park while they themselves are in the park. I mean, I was out on Hampstead Heath over the weekend, which is my nearby big area. I drove there. Ooh, it's about one and a half miles, people. Is that allowed? Seems to me it is. I could walk there, but I'd rather spend most of my time walking uh, somewhere open air and green rather than walking along busy pavements um, but but I mean, there were lots of people there. I didn't see anyone not social distancing didn't see anyone at any risk but there were lots of people there but to people who were complaining that lots of people are there and someone might after walking for an hour and a half take a sit down on a bench seems to me I mean that, frankly ridiculous.
1: I don't disagree, with you, but the difficulty you've got here is that the police are trying to walk between this. They don't want to be enforcing this. They want people to act sensibly and abide by regulations and the guidance. But some people are deliberately not. And that's the difficulty they've got to deal with. They're far to be out dealing with crimes than dealing with what is effectively a public health issue.
2: Um, do you think the police have been put between a rock and a hard place? Has, has Sorry, te- Sorry Graeme, we are having so many problems with our lines today. You're, you're, you're bearing with us very well. Do you think the, the police have themselves been put between a rock and a hard place?
1: Absolutely. I think that's probably the best assessment I've heard. It. They are definitely between a rock and a hard place here, and and no disrespect. Incidents like this are highlighted. I've heard about three or four radio phones over the weekend and TV news talking about one or two incidents when there are thousands of interactions and people being polite and respectfully advised As to what they should be doing. Whether they do it is down to them. If they're not breaking the law, then I can get issued a ticket. But it is a very difficult job to walk between the two. And now people deliberately breaking legislation to test the police and
0: and then highlight the facts across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio.
2: Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley-Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6:30 until 10. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its
4: tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.